Internet's all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Leader's Playbook, where you'll discover what emotional intelligence is all about and how to raise yours to be a top performer in business. Now, here's your host, Dr. Rell. Welcome to Leader's Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Today we're going to talk about change leadership. We've been covering each of the EI competencies, and today one of the key things for leaders is how do you deal with change, given there's so much change going on in most organizations. So some of the questions we'll look at is what makes a successful change initiative? What are examples in corporate America of a failed change initiatives? What steps can leaders take to lead change successfully? How do leaders champion change? Do women uh, lead change differently than uh, men do? And how can women leverage their competitive advantage? Those are some of the questions that we're going to look at today. I am Dr. Riley Nadler. I'm a psychologist and executive coach and your host for Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Today, our guest is going to be Dr. Tammy Wong. She is the founder and CEO of Fostering Executive Leadership. She's an author, an executive coach, and a speaker. Tammy has over 25 years of experience as an executive in corporate America for Sun Microsystems and Xerox Corporation. She has had senior leadership roles in sales, marketing, strategic planning, and has been involved in many corporate change initiatives. Tammy has a new book, which is called The Hourglass Effect, Leveraging Your Female Talent for Your Competitive Advantage. We'll get a chance to hear about that. And Tammy's been in the trenches dealing with change, and so we'll bring her on in just a couple minutes. First, a couple things around change itself. Changing behavior usually is less a matter of giving people analysis to influence their thoughts than helping them see the truth to influence their feelings. It's really more about feelings. Both thinking and feeling are essential and are both found in successful organizations, but the heart of change is in the emotions. And this is from John Carter, uh, an expert on uh, change leadership and his book, The Heart of Change. So what we've been focusing on is emotional intelligence, and I'm just going to go through some of the key concepts that we've been talking about. Why are we talking about this? Well, emotional intelligence has been documented to be the key factor to allow someone to perform in the top 10%. What is it? It's defined as understanding and managing yourself and understanding and managing others. We've also talked about how emotions are contagious, and the leader is the emotional thermostat for their team. So even in change situations, this is going to be pronounced even more. How the leader deals with the change is going to be the emotional thermostat for how the team deals with the change. Change being initiatives, mergers, acquisitions, new projects. Leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue as managers who are in the 11th through 69th percentile. And each show we've been talking about micro-initiatives that create macro-impact. What are the few things that you, the leader, can do that make a change? Every leader is pressed for time, but what are the small micro-initiatives that can have a macro-impact? We've talked about uh, how emotions are contagious and the amygdala hijack, how uh, when someone's primitive part of the brain takes over, they lose IQ points and also from neuroscience about the mirror neurons that we're wired to connect. So, again, in change, what does a leader need to do to connect with folks to help promote the change? 
every leader that I've worked with has underestimated their influence over their team. Thus, they've underperformed. Their team's underperformed. So to apply this to change initiatives, if they're underestimating their influence over the team, the change initiative may not be as successful as it could. When you go to leadersplaybook.com, there's a series of free tools that go along with each of these key EI competencies. So change leadership is what we're focusing on today. What is it? It's the ability to recognize the need for change and remove barriers to change. A great change leader challenges the status quo and is able to enlist others in the change. They not only are part of the change, but they are constantly promoting and championing the change. The change leader can inspire others and individualize their message for each of their constituents. So sometimes in just talking about leadership in general, um, most leadership is change leadership. Most leaders that I deal with, and, and that Tommy along when we talk to her, dealing with executives that she deals with, are usually in some kind of change initiative. Well, what do we know about change? Again, from John Cotter, who wrote Leading Change, he said 80% of change efforts fail. Let me just repeat that. 80% of change efforts fail. Most organizations are involved in massive change, and 80% of them fail, and it's not because of the technical reason. It's because of some of the emotional aspects of how does a leader promote the change. In a survey from the Saratoga Institute of 200 global organizations, um, only 9% of these 200 organizations said their efforts in change were very successful. And another 4% said they were moderately successful. So the Mercer Human Resource Consulting quoted an information uh, study that showed that 62% of residents cited resistance to change as the primary factor for failure in the change efforts. So people are resisting or they're just reticent about the change. What does that cost organizations when people aren't ready to move for the change? Could be loss of trust and respect in leaders, loss of credibility in organizations, less credibility in, uh, in workers by managers, high stress, more the silo effect, and diminished risk-taking, and generally loss of money for not implementing what people have been uh, paid to do. So I'm going to ask you, are you an average performer or a star in change? And an average performer expresses general need for change, they express a vision for change, and they act to support change. So this is the average performer, maybe someone who meets expectations. What does the star do? Someone in the top 10%. They do each of the things I just mentioned, but in addition, they personally lead change. They take responsibility for the change, and then they champion the change. We're going to, when we talk with Dr. Tammy Wong, we're going to zero in on some of her experiences with that. So let me introduce Dr. Tammy Wong right now. She is the founder and CEO of uh, Fostering Executive Leadership. She's an author, executive coach, a speaker, the thing that we're going to zero in today is her 25 years of experience as a corporate executive, a corporate leader in organizations such as Sun Microsystems, Xerox Corporation. She's had senior leadership roles in sales, marketing, strategic planning, um, has been involved in many corporate initiatives. And again, her new book that's going to come out, we'll ask her about that, is The Hourglass Effect, Leveraging Your Female Talent for Your Competitive 
advantage. Tammy, are you there? I am. How are you doing, Raleigh? I'm doing great. It's really good to have you on the call. We've been, you and I have been talking about this for a while, so we're glad to have you on. I'm very excited to be on. Thank you. So tell me, <clears throat> um, give us a little bit of background just in, in your working in, in corporate leadership, just to get an idea, and then we'll zero in on some of your experience around uh, change initiatives. Okay, sure. I've worked for over 28 years as an executive in primary technology companies such as IBM, Xerox, and Sun Microsystems in roles that covered sales, marketing, and strategy. And within those roles, I did handle a lot of change initiatives, and I'd love to share with you what worked and what didn't. Oh, that's perfect. Well, that's exactly what we want to um, hear about. And so we'll start off a little bit more general, and then we'll kind of get specific around these key components. Um, so why do you think, uh, just in general, emotional intelligence is so important in leading change? So, you know, what's very interesting is um, uh, some of the things on emotional intelligence are very um, key. I actually, really, I actually took the six pieces from your own book and actually put uh, change in niches around that. Hmm. And what I believe is um, because emotional intelligence can be learned just as leadership can be learned, the two combined will result in really a positive change initiative. And typically change is brought on when something is not working or the organization would like to expand its reach in the community mm-hmm. or really make an effect. And the six items I really looked at were um, motivation, communication, rewards, accountability, quality, and time management. Hmm. And each one of those I, I can share with the team here that is listening a little bit about um, how I feel that those will affect uh, change. Oh, good, good. So, the, so these are kind of the, the critical factors that, <clears throat> that you found in delineating emotional intelligence that really is going to help some of our listeners uh, move forward. So that's good. So motivation, communication, rewards, and what were the other two? Accountability, quality, okay. and time management. Okay. Would you like me to expand a bit on those? Yeah, so why don't we, that's great. So why don't we start off, uh, you know, from the top. Okay, so the first one is um, motivation. And really the motivation for change is, you know, uh, leaders will look at why uh, create something new or expand on our current concepts or strategies. And um, that's the, typically the first one. What's the motivation to change? Mm-hmm. Typically something's not working or right. they'd like to expand or grow in an area. The next one is communication. How are you going to communicate to the organization or group that uh, what is going on and how can they support the change and how do we influence others who may not have direct contact with the change mm-hmm. but need to have an understanding and knowledge of that change? Okay, and then let me just kind of underline that one because I think that one's really <clears throat> challenging, especially like you said, people who may not be directly involved but maybe kind of on the, on the outside, kind of tertiary, um, you know, kind of linking it in for them. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a good one. All right. Uh, the third one is rewards. Um, many companies uh, typically, you know, what have you done for me lately, especially mm-hmm. within the revenue area? And I really look at what will be the rewards at the end of the change. And the question I always ask is if we don't change, how, how will this affect us? Mm. Okay, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. The fourth one is accountability. Um, following through with it. Really, you had a question? No, 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 go ahead. Okay. The fourth one is accountability, really following through with that change. It's a bit like coaching. In my coaching practice, I always create a written 180-day business plan, Mm. which covers six months uh, with the client or company. Mm -hmm. And this is all about the strategy of change, to have a vision with a timeline and being able to say what it's going to to look like one, three, or even five years out, and then implementing that change through a written document. And one of the things that I found through at least my strategy experience is 
strategy is actually much easier than implementing change. And you might have a great vision, but really actually implementing it through a written document and tactical items is important. So within any kind of change, you need both strategy and tactical uh, areas. Strategy and tactical, okay. And then we're going to have to cut away to go to a, a break right now, but we'll, we've got, we'll come back and we'll go through the four, and then we'll hear the fifth one. Okay, terrific. Okay, and we'll be right back with Dr. Tammy Wong. Bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a swing set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadylocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors, cried the second. I hope it has a bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadylocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. This is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. Today, we're talking with Dr. Tammy Wong in regards to change leadership. What does it take to become a star and change leadership? So, so far, Tammy has gone through uh, four areas in most change um, initiatives around motivation, communication, reward. And let's see if there's anything more you want to say about accountability and go to your fifth item. Sure. The accountability piece is um, 
we talked a little bit about a timeline and uh, really having a strategy from one to three, five, one, three, five years out and really having that documented. Um, many of our listeners may have thought of certain goals or dreams that they would like to achieve, and really without a written plan in many cases, they are hard to track and equally hard to remember. Mm-hmm. So the fifth item here is quality. The quality of change really relates back to the thought process that you use in pursuing that goal. Have you received buy-in from the team? Have you heard the concerns? What are the positives of this change? And what are the areas of opportunity that we might see if we proceed? Mm-hmm. Quality can also use a process for building a change initiative from the initial concept, planning the change, integrating the change, launching and executing the change. And I'll talk a little bit more about that and what makes a successful change initiative. And the last piece is time management um, around the change. What is the timeline? Who needs to be included within that timeline? And how much time are they willing to give in support of this change initiative mm. to create this change for the organization or team? Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I think especially around the uh, the time management piece and, and really as we walk through this communication, uh, when, do, when do people come involved? Let me just share this one um, piece that I usually talk about when change, and then we'll get to kind of some of the learning that you've had in regards to change. Um, if you think about change, and, you, and sometimes you think about medical, uh, a medical analogy, when, when somebody has a kidney replacement, um, you know, the body wants to repel the kidney, so that's kind of the normal response, kind of like the change initiative, the organization wants to repel mm-hmm. it. But I, when a, if you've taken your mom to the doctor and she's had the kidney replacement and you're about ready to, to leave the doctor and you have one doctor, Dr. A will call him, says, okay, we're going to see you in about six weeks and we'd like you to uh, come back and here's your, here's your appointment. You know, if any problems, let me know. So that's Dr. A. Dr. B, and it's going back to the couple components you talked about, Tammy, says, we're going to uh, have you come back in six weeks, but we want to just give you some information what to expect. You know, you're not going to have much of an appetite for two or three days. You're, I would say, going up and down stairs may be, may be difficult for you. You may feel some tinges where we did the stitches. All these things, and then when, when they've done research with Dr. B, who's really explained, we're talking about here, the medical process, but to explain the change process, people heal a lot quicker with Dr. B than Dr. A just because they've laid it out and just kind of like you're laying it out for us around the motivation, the communication, the reward, the accountability, and especially the kind of the timeline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. I'd probably want to go to Dr. B more than Dr. A. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so. And, and, and so in regards to how do we translate to the organization, your organization is going to accept the change better. So um, tell us a little bit of kind of, you know, from your 25 years, and I imagine if you had to put a, if a uh, – Number on how many change initiatives have were you in over those twenty five years? Uh, probably over a hundred, at least. Over a hundred, and probably all all different roles. Yes. Okay. You know, and and it's interesting, really, because I really uh, learned early on. I think the question you sir, is, so, what you know, what did you learn in those um, twenty eight years in corporate America, and and what can you share with the uh, listeners here? Yeah. I really learned early on. Um, this might not be around so much change, but what I learned as a leader and how it actually helps change. Um, I really learned early on to communicate well, uh, be open to others' opinions and ideas, and I also learned not to hold grudges, um, to look for the best in people and understand that everyone has value to add. Uh, a key takeaway is being aware of your style and how you treat others mm. um, in any kind of change. In one instance, I reported to a VP, and then three, year li- three years later, that same person reported to me. Oh. I, had a, I had a lot of respect for this individual based on our previous relationship, and that, that was huge change, but we actually worked on a pretty large project at that time. And, um, 
you know, I, I, I look at all the organization I work for and, um, one of the last organizations I worked for, I won Making a Difference Award. Um, oh. And I worked um, uh, for this company, and I thought it was pretty important to share with large groups of people how they could also make a difference uh, in companies and really leverage your talent around change and uh, also to look at uh, their leadership processes around change. Oh. Well, say maybe a little bit, what, what was it they actually did, to, you know, some of the things that let you to, uh, or allowed you to win that award? Uh, well, I actually uh, had uh, done it not only within a business environment, but also a women's organization that I built from uh, 300 uh, women to uh, 2,000 worldwide. And what was interesting is um, after that, I really found that really hearing people and what they had to say really helped the organization actually improve uh, from a leadership standpoint and actually uh, built some really terrific uh, models for the company mm. on what they could use later from a business sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a good point that you're saying, really hearing people. And I think when it comes to change, you know, feeling that they have been heard. And sometimes I use the metaphor, are, are there fingerprints somewhere on this change initiative? You know, they added an idea. They had a suggestion. Um, they, t- they took on an action that somewhere they said, oh, there's, there's my contribution that you could see their fingerprint someplace. It's so true. And, you know, from a change initiative, um, I think the questions that companies – always ask their employee, they always hire the best, mm-hmm. but really continuing to look at that value of that person as they, as they grow within that organization. And typically companies will say, uh, what have you done for me lately? But not only how does it affect our organization and company in a positive way, but typically it's around leadership through people, mm-hmm. and those people affect the culture and revenue, revenue of the company through change. So, that's, so I think the playing field, like you're saying, uh, for many leaders, is change initiatives. That's when when they're on the spot, and we've talked about kind of when when do you use your emotional intelligence and your leadership. It's in these moments of truth, and I think um, these leadership initiatives really allow a lot of moments for truth. So, um, if you had to kind of delineate, you know, what makes a successful change initiative, you talked about some key ingredients. Um, how would you respond to that? So there, there there's five things, but I really believe a consistent path and buy-in from not only the team leading the change, but also the people that the change will affect is key. And those okay. five things that I really built, not only into uh, business proposals, it, but also um, uh, different change initiatives, are concepts, so sort of developing um, the reason for change, so planning. Con- so concepts is, is number one? and plan- the concept, really the development of a new change or okay. the expansion or improvement of, of a current uh, okay. uh, area. The second one is Planning, mm-hmm. so really building the framework for the initiative, what is needed, creating right. a task force, determining success factors for the program. Mm, okay. Uh, the third is really integrating. Uh, the questions you might ask are who will benefit from the initiative of change, who mm-hmm. will be part of the initiative, who will lead the initiative, and what marketing impact will there be both internally and externally to the company. Okay, that's good. And the fourth is uh, launching it really announcing the initiative to the organization. So steps A, B, and C, concept, plan, and integrate, you've really gotten the buy-in from the entire organization. Mm-hmm. Now what you're doing is you're now launching that, um, typically both internally and externally, if it's a large change initiative. Okay. So you're letting your customers know about it. You're letting internal uh, folks know about it. And then the last one is really executing on that change. And a lot of people think the launch is the hardest part, but actually the execution is the hardest part. After you launch it and sort of have that big party, mm-hmm. sometimes it, it will go away unless you execute or track it. Right, so right. you really need to track the success of that change initiative. 
You have to create timelines and really activities associated with that change initiative, and you have to keep on going back on it. It's a bit like setting a goal and uh, going back, and are you on the right path? Are we moving forward? And if not, do we have to change path? Okay. And then so for these key things, um, concepts, the planning, the, the integrating, the launching, and the execution, mm-hmm. um, tell us kind of like maybe how vital is it for, for the leader, you know, to take an active role in this and maybe what would be some of the things that, that a leader could do to, to really lead this change successfully? Well, the, big, the biggest piece, I, I believe, is the communication out to the organization. Mm-hmm. And the communication, if you have a consistent approach on how you're going to lead change, you can even share what that might look like from a framework standpoint, but really getting buy-in from the entire organization. And, you know, you had asked a little bit on sort of examples um, right. from my experience on sort of failed change initiatives. Uh-huh. And one of the things that's interesting is I, you know, I'll share when things have failed with change initiatives, but, but I'll also uh, share when initiatives have been really successful. And one of the things I really learned um, as an executive is just you can really learn as much from success as you can from failure. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to share a little bit uh, on something that was a, a bit of a failure and why it was, and then a little bit on a successful initiative. Okay. Okay. That sounds great, yeah. Okay. So um, uh, I worked for a, a very large company in the early 80s, and um, uh, this company had uh, was creating lots of different products uh, to market out uh, externally uh, to our customer base. And they had put together a product uh that you could actually view people while in meetings, conference calls, or on the phone. Mm-hmm. And you might think, early, this was early 80s. Yeah. And um, we spent a tremendous amount of time and money on this product. But when we actually launched the product, one of the things um, that we did is we did a tremendous mar- amount of market research. People totally wanted the product. Um, they were ready for it. But what was interesting is it was it was a terrific product. People liked it, but we were way ahead of the technology wave. Mm. Uh, we were almost 20 years too early mm-hmm. uh, for mass di- distribution, and it's probably a little bit like what a webcam is today or where you might go into office and right. you can see people in India or uh, Asia-Pac or Europe. Yeah. And um, it's the same kind of thing, but think about that, you know, 27, 28 years ago. Right, right. And uh, it's pretty amazing. And so, and so that one failed more because of the timing of it. It was. Okay. And, and it really, the integration piece, um, really who will benefit from this uh, change, I think was a key piece that we really lacked uh-huh. uh, from that because um, everyone who had to use it, actually the person communicating to another person, another person had to have the same device. And oh, okay. so <laughs> that was one piece we, we missed. <laughs> Who's on the other receiving side <laughs> the of other that? receiving Right, right. where they better not know what's going on. <laughs> Did they have the same product? Okay, so that's that's great. Um, let me just share one quick thing, and then we'll in a moment go to break. Sometimes these things are so happen so uh, they're so simple. But there's an organization I work with that they implemented a a new software, and the whole organization uh, it was like one department. They were so stressed, working all these hours, and people were were getting ready to leave, and they had what was not connected for them. The leader never said, "Why are we doing this now?" And in the group process, it kind of came out, well, we have to, if we don't do this now, we're not going to be able to do this next thing a year from now, you know, the timeline. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just an interesting, simple thing. He never said, why now? He never answered that question. And people were stressed out, ready to leave. Once they knew why now, it made more sense to them. So sometimes these are simple things. So we're talking with Dr. Tammy Wong, and this is Leader's Playbook, and we'll be back right after the break. 
bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look. These are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. i got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. This is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. We're talking with Dr. Tammy Wong around change leadership. And so we're going to uh, talk more about, we've just been talking about a, a failed change initiative. And uh, have anything more you want to say about that? And then we can move into kind of how do you lead successfully? Well, I think just to build on what you had said, you know, really sort of what's the timeline and who will benefit um, from that initiative are, are key questions you need to ask. Okay. So really that integration piece. Right, right. Um, I, you know, just as I shared uh People can learn as much from success as they can from failure. I really look at the success factors of a change initiative and, um, and which ones I've been part of that have been very successful. And typically it's where there's a very much a, a documented, consistent uh, process, as I mentioned before, the concept, plan, integrate, launch, and execute. Mm-hmm. But then um, it really includes um, both the business initiative and also organizing a large uh, leadership initiative. And what I mean by that mm. is really create an ability to communicate out to all the executive leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're in a um, hierarchical organization, many times information is passed from the top down or bottoms up. Right. In a matrix organization, you'll have silos of people within those organizations. And what I've found, if you don't communicate across the leaders of those organizations, even if they may not be affected by that change, they still need to know about it. Because in many instances, you'll have different siloed organizations actually recreating the wheel over and over uh-huh. again. 
And so what I found is not only the key was communication, but really a consistent, streamlined approach that everyone could follow and be a part of. So that all the key leaders were, in a sense, kind of singing from the same song sheet or kind of were, were able to, to have the same message. Yes, and they were actually able to then uh, be able to converse and say, how could this actually help my organization and build off the best practice of that that change initiative? So that's a great one because we've been talking about the idea of connecting the dots. So, so not only here's why we're doing this, uh, here's what this change initiative is, here's how it's going to help and in particular personalize it. Right, right. Okay. And, you know, you, you sort of asked what steps can leaders take to lead change successfully. Yeah. You know, I really believe it is through communication and understanding the pitfalls and effects it will have on the culture and the organization's responsibility for that change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, change tests really take risk. You know, stepping out of that box and, and moving forward on something, especially something new. Um, but I believe if you uh, have done a little bit of the, the research and have gotten the buy-in of people, right. in many cases you have a much more successful change initiative. That's great. And, and I think uh, so getting buy-in, I mean, sometimes – what I've done in organizations is really doing a lot of small groups, a lot of uh, questions, you know, where the leader may say, here's, here's what we're doing and here's why and here's the benefit and here's why now. Um, you know, what do you think about that? What's going to be our biggest challenge? You know, how do you see this impacting you? Um, where you just start eliciting a lot of data, you know, from the, from the participants. And, and, you know, I've also found is instead of, you know, you shared sort of the vision what do you think about that? And, and many uh, times you might even go in and what do you think? Sort of take that a little bit differently so that you, you have that ability to actually create um, a, a change initiative um, from a little bit different ideas. And then when you get buy-in, it's actually when you integrate sort of those two sets of ideas. And, and those were what do you think and, and what was the other one? Uh, it sort of instead of um, uh, what, do you, uh, what, what do you think about sort of my about, ideas, I got sort of what do you think, oh, okay, sort of good. more of a broader, yes, broader yes. spectrum. Oh, great. Yeah. Kind of depending on, on where it is, sometimes the change may be mandated, you know, let's say about, um, you know, acquisition or a merger, or there may be some other kind of integration stuff. So what do you think, which may lead to a change initiative, or if it's already kind of done and dictated, you know, what do you think about this and how do we make this happen? Exactly. And, you know, one of the litmus tests that you can actually test on any change initiative in your company is when the leader either gets promoted, um, leaves, leaves that change initiative, uh-huh. or even leaves the company, yeah. what kind of legacy do they leave uh, with that change initiative? Is it able to actually work on its own? Without that key leader. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Let me ask you about this. We didn't really talk about this much, but... You know, um, kind of the roles of sometimes even having the um, owner of the initiative, and then versus the sponsor of the initiative. When, mm-hmm. when you would you use those breakouts when in yeah. some of your initiatives? Yeah, yes, um, we have. Um, typically, the owner of, of the initiative is a person that uh, goes from step A to, to step D and really moves that vision along. Okay, the sponsor is really the one that that has that vision and. Uh, really is the executive that, that wants that completed, but um, typically the owner will be the one that, that right. gets it done. That's great. Well, I think sometimes that's a good distinction. <clears throat> and, in, and in organizations, just like you are saying, asking the right questions, sometimes being able to say to the, to the people implementing change, who's the owner of this? Mm-hmm. And if they don't know who the owner is, you know, the owner hasn't made themselves present, who's the sponsor of this? And then, then the other side is kind of what's the role, like what's the actions of the sponsor? And that's a key piece. The sponsor's role is really taking that message out okay. and, and actually filtering that message throughout all the organizations, especially in a matrix organization. Right. Um, it really is, is uh, 
quite um, supportive. And what you'll have is because a matrix organization, uh, a lot of things are done by influence. You may not have a direct ownership of uh, that person reporting to you. Uh, It gives you an ability to actually reach out and uh, get quite a lot of data and also information that will help you with your change initiative. Oh, that's good. I think that I'm sure you've had the role of a sponsor at some time. Mm-hmm, I have. Okay. And I, typically the role of a sponsor is someone's on the kind of the senior team or the executive team, and, and if the owner's having problems with <clears throat> people cooperating or get buying time, getting their time, you know, then that's something like it's escalated up to a sponsor who can say, okay, I'll talk to so-and-so or I'll talk to this other department head that may free up some time or free up some people. It is. They're, they're really the, the person to sort of take away those bushes right, uh, right. for you. You know, I also go back, Rally, to even your book, the, the step-in, step-out piece. Oh, okay. You know, the the uh, executive sponsor really needs to be able to step in and then step out and let the owner take uh, take mm-hmm. ownership of that, but really sort of check in and how things are going and how they can support them. Oh, that's good. And I think that that, that partnership between the owner and the sponsor, you know, do they really sit down and have a, and clarify expectations? You know, what does the owner need from the sponsor? What does the sponsor need from the owner? so that those two are kind of walking in step. It's huge. Okay. Um, so that's good. I was going to ask about that. And I think we've kind of talked about a little bit with the uh, how do leaders champion change. Are there, are there others, some things that we haven't mentioned that you want to talk about how a leader champions change? And I guess that was, in thinking about that, that was that sponsor role, you know, of really championing the change or really letting the organization know. You know what I think our audience might like to hear is actually that step-in, step-out piece that okay. you've developed. Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> um, it, is, it is one of the tools that, that they have on the website, www.leadersplaybook.com. But simply, <clears throat> it's the, uh, in a change initiative, the leader would step in, giving the why, um, why now, what's the end in mind, connecting the dots, and they encourage and motivate. Really going back to some of the comments that you made in your first uh, comment. And so they step in and really give resources, but then they step out. And they empower others. People come to them. They may let the owner do it. They may let other people really um, use each other as a resource because they're out. And so the idea they're not taking the monkeys, <clears throat> and the monkey is the problem. And so if they've done a good job and they're stepping in, that's why there's a rhythm to this, um, people should be able to use their own resources and the owner um, not taking the monkey. And then the next piece is once they're out, they're able to step in again when it's going well, and then they're able to step in uh, when it's not going well is when they write the ship, quickly fix what needs to be done, and then they can step out again. So that whole kind of rhythm back and forth. You know, and, and just to add, add to that, one of the things I've found with with that, um, what you've created is I've used that with a lot of my um, executive coaching clients and even my uh, uh, MBA leaders that I uh, huh. do an instruction course with. Well, that's good. It's a, thanks for bringing it up. It's a simple tool, but I think it does let people say, oh, there's a certain beat to this, and can I be in beat and have the rhythm? So we'll be back in, in just a moment. This is Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Line in business, Voice America business. 
leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That bedtime song. Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. Welcome back. This is Leaders Playbook, tool for top performance. Today we're talking about change leadership and we're talking with Dr. Tammy Wong. Tammy's new book, let me give the title again, is The Hourglass Effect, Leveraging Female Talent for Your Competitive Advantage. And one of the questions, Tammy, I wanted you to respond to, um, I, I know that you're an expert in talking about women and women's leadership. Have you noticed any difference on how men and women lead change? So, you know, I, yes, I have, and, and there actually is a difference. Uh, it's a bit hardwired. Um, uh, uh, men, and, and I'll talk in generalities, men typically are, are much more the logical and planful uh, self um, from a left-brain perspective, mm-hmm. and they sometimes say women are, are in the right brain. But what's interesting how the brain is, is wired is we're a little bit, uh, we have a little bit um, thicker area between the left brain and right brain, and so it gives us ability to actually jump back and forth uh, between those. And really what's interesting is it's, uh, because it's hardwired from a brain perspective, uh, the outcomes in many cases is very similar, but the path they take to get there is very different. And I'd like to share a little bit of a study that came out several years ago on how women and men solve a problem uh, that's leading to change. Okay, um, that's great. I'd like to hear okay. it. Okay. So they, so they broke, um, uh, they had about 1,000 participants, and they broke um, these groups up by gender, and they typically took uh, 10 
uh, people into each group. So you'll have a, a group of 10 women and a group of 10 men. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they did this, um, this session over and over again. And what they found, um, I'll give you an example of just one group. In the first group where 10 women uh, were, in the second group, 10 men, they asked the groups to come up with a new idea on how to change a product. The first group of women came together. They introduced themselves and shared a little bit about themselves hmm. with each other, and, then, and this took about 10 minutes. For the last uh, 20 minutes, they each had, everyone had 30 minutes to actually solve this, uh, solve this problem around change. And for the last 20 minutes, they discussed what this product might look like and how it would affect the consumer. Hmm. And then the second group of 10 men got together and moved right into um, solving the problem. Each jockeyed a bit for the leadership position, and after 30 minutes, they also came to a conclusion of how the product could change. And what was interesting, consistently, the researchers found um, that each of the teams completed the tasks on time. But as the researchers reviewed the conversations, they found that the women through their dialogue were able to find out the skills and inherent leadership traits that would be supportive to come up with ideas around this change. The men on the team had not discussed their background or strengths and had still completed the project. But in the end, if you can solve something in 20 minutes rather than 30 and walk away understanding how each member can add value to the team, you have an ability to really accomplish more and create teams that fill those gaps that you will need for a positive change initiative. But what was interesting is after this was uh, shared, just as leadership is learned, um, emotional intelligence is learned, um, after this was shared with the teams, each team was more effective in how they approached that change initiative again when they did 30 minutes again, and they even had an all-male group. So the men learned that they needed to find out what right. the traits were and, and who had um, the, the skills for not only being creative but people-oriented huh. and maybe logical and planful. So that's great. That's a great study, and I think it kind of highlights what you're saying between the, some of the difference with men and women. So women were able to take the first 10 minutes to say, let's get to know who we are in an affiliative manner, which then allowed them to, to hear about strength skills, which really helped in the execution mm-hmm. of That's it, right. where men missed that step, basically. Right, but both of them were able to accomplish the task in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I share that, too. But what was interesting is I think um, just as anything can be learned, um, this can also be learned by both men and women. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were talking about the difference of left brain and right brain, and so it's the uh, corpus callosum. It's kind of the bridge between both hemispheres that it's pretty documented that women, their bridge is, is wider. That's right. So they go from, from one hemisphere to the other hemisphere maybe easier. And what's also interesting is sometimes you'll get into a group and you might have more women uh, than men, and uh, um, the man might be sitting there and the women are already have a plan in place and the women are already thinking of steps one, two, three, four, and five, and um, the gentleman might be saying, well, I see one, two, and three. And, uh, but then what's also interesting from a time perspective, the gentleman will get there. Um, so it's, it's not, not a, a lack of how we think, it's just right. how we process it. And I think um, you know, using other tools where it brings up differences, whether Myers-Briggs or other things that you, know, you and I are familiar with, that I think when it comes to change, many times it, it is the kind of the, the feeling aspects, which ties into the emotional intelligence of how am I going to communicate this change? How am I going to implement this change? Where's my resistance? Who's going to resist this? How am I going to deal with them? So it's not really the idea. It's really, it moves into the whole execution piece. That's right. Well, tell us um, a little bit about you, about your book, you know, and how women can leverage their competitive advantage. And maybe, you know, how did this come about? Wasn't this part of what, your dissertation? It was. I actually wrote my dissertation on 
fostering executive leadership in women. And what I then did is uh, tested it out with our women's organization at Sun, and that's why we were able to actually grow from 300 members to 2,000 worldwide. And it was really um, hearing um, uh, and the value that everyone added. One of the things I work with a lot of different organizations, um, both men and women, and one of the things I found is um, uh, no matter what position uh, the person is, everyone adds value to that organization, and really hearing that value uh, really brings a team together. And so some of the things I really found from a competitive advantage in how women are leaders and how they solve problems, um, it, it's really all about the population growth that's also happening, and that's a bit why I called it the hourglass effect. If you hmm. look at the effect right now, we have uh, currently um, four different um, uh, populations uh, living right now. The traditionalists were our 1922 to 1945 Baby Boomers, 1946 to 1964, Gen X, 1965 to 1984, and then Gen Y, 1985 to 2003. And from a work standpoint, you have right now Baby Boomers, Gen X, and Gen Y in that um, uh, workforce. And one of the things why I named it Hourglass Effect is currently 50% um, of the uh, population um, working are women. 51% of the population in the United States is women and 57% of any um, new entrants into the workforce, uh, college graduates are women. Mm. And so what we're finding is that um, for every two baby boomers, there is only one Gen X actually to replace them. So a lot of companies are looking how they can leverage that talent, and what I'm finding is that women are actually um, uh, coming in through companies at a much greater rate, and how are they going to actually leverage the female talent to replace those baby boomers? And so that's sort of why I named it that, and it's really about leveraging talent, but um, many of the concepts in the book could also be leveraging any kind of talent, both men and women within the organization. Okay. And so the leveraging of the talent is is just kind of the statistics that you're sharing, that there are going to be more women who are coming in to replace uh, the baby boomers. And so how how do you leverage those aspects of the women? It is, and it's also what's interesting is, just as a, a change initiative, women go at it a bit differently than men. Um, another thing too is uh, women actually. Go ahead, yeah. Women actually uh, lead uh, differently, and what I mean by that is how they get to that leadership path is much different than uh, for a man. One of the biggest things I found is um, mentoring is a key thing for women to get ahead. Um, most statistics actually. Men have about 75% of the men in corporate America have mentors, hmm. or women it's about 25%. So men have more mentors? Yeah, they, they actually um, have, a, uh, they have oh. either informal or formal mentoring uh, within organizations, and, and women don't as much. Oh, that's interesting. And so really forming a mentoring organization or a women's initiative is a key thing for that. Uh-huh. Um, also gender understanding, you know, understanding what uh, qualities both genders bring to the organization mm-hmm. and how you can collaborate. Okay. And um, culturally, uh, how the uh, culture, I, you know, a lot of companies have um, family-friendly friendly options. I really call it female-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and because uh, how are you affecting both the women and the men uh, in the organization, but particularly the women as they come in, uh, especially as uh, graduates from college or replacing that baby boomer population, how are you affecting the women that they say your company is a great company to work for not only as a female, but my brother would like to come here, my father would like to come here, my uncle would like to come here, or my son would like to come here. So it, it, it affects, you know, women from a standpoint of how they come in, but then also how they share what a great company is to work for with their uh, people that they have relationships with. 
So that's good. It is the, it is the relationship that's going to help, and then so they're going to be kind of internal recruiters. That's right, <laughs> and they are. And I think a lot of companies are looking at how do they get those high potential people yeah. in, and uh, really um, that female workforce will be the, the large part to look at. Let me, Tammy, let me uh, give the name of your book again, and then you can tell us when it's going to be out, and then maybe also, um, you know, your website or for folks. But Tammy's new book, The Hourglass Effect, Leveraging Female Talent for Your Competitive Advantage. Okay, and so that should be out um, in the winter time frame, so uh, look for it January, February. And my uh, website is you can either Google me at Dr. Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y-W-O-N-G, Dr. Tammy Wong, or you can also type in www.fosteringexecutiveleadership.com and um, you can uh, look at a little bit of information out there. That's great. Well, Tammy, thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's nice having someone who's been in the trenches and have your academic degree and the research, you know, to kind of put it all together. So um, when we talk about leadership, you know, most leadership is all about change, and, and today you've shared a, a lot of really good Good tips for folks. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Riley. This has been Leaders Playbook Tools for Top Performance. We're going to be uh, on next week, and we'll be talking with a president CEO who is a star in emotional intelligence and really trying to glean from him kind of what his key practices are to be that star. Thanks a lot, and we'll be talking to you again. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Leaders Playbook with Dr. Relly Nadler. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Rell, or if you would like to email him directly, visit his website at www.truenorthleadership.com.